building God's house, building his church. That's the subject today as we continue our look at Haggai. Join us, Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse is coming up next. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, we welcome you in Christ to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Our time today will return us to the book of Haggai. As we do, we'll be reminded of this one main thought. God is calling his people to build his house. That calls for a rebuke for procrastination and a look at the selfishness, indifference, and hostility towards neighbors, bringing about a clear repentance and a renewed, energized view of building God's house, becoming holy and sanctified people. It's a marvelous Old Testament look at the New Testament dynamic of sanctification. Today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, here's Pastor Steve Converse. And so here you have the people of Israel who've been in exile for 70 years. Haggai was part of their, their whole clan down there. And he's, God had been preparing him for this special ministry. And now God is ready to use this man, the prophet Haggai. His whole ministry, his whole message is summed up in four little messages found in this book. And that's all we have. And if you were to relate the dates to our present time, and we can do that because the the book of Haggai is probably one of the most uh, detailed as far as dates given. And so we can pin down exactly when all this stuff happened. And if you transfer it over to our modern day calendar, it happens on August 29th is the first message. October 17th is the second message. December 18th, there's two messages. And it all happens in the year 520 B.C. And we saw last week how when Haggai was dealing with this prophecy and bringing this message, he was bringing it to the right people. And these people had a devotion to and a zeal for God. And it was evident in them. Remember, these are the people that were in captivity for 70 years. Can you imagine living in one place for 70 years? Do you think you'd maybe settle down a little bit? (laughs) I think so. I think you'd probably know where all the finest stores were and the best shops to eat in. And I bet your kids would be plugged in and, and you would be part of that community, even though you were in captivity. And so when God called them out of captivity, not all of them came. The Bible says 50,000 of them came back to Jerusalem. Because you understand there was nothing in Jerusalem. It was wasted. It was devastated. There was nothing there. So imagine yourself saying, you know, I'm going to live where I've lived for 30, 40 years, and I'm just going to go to a place that is, there's just nothing there at all. Nothing there for me, nothing there for my family. There's no work. There's no businesses. Nothing. I mean, that would be a tall order for someone to do. They were the right people, these 50,000. And second, we saw that they were in the right place. Rather than stay back in Babylon where they had all the creature comforts of home and everything else, even though they were held captive and they were, you know, that was part of their disciplinary action from the hand of God that they were down there, it was still a lot more pleasant than being in Jerusalem just with the creature comforts. They were the right people and they were in the right place. They were in Jerusalem. And then thirdly, we said that this remnant who Haggai spoke to were also, they wanted to be plugged into the right work. They wanted to be doing what God wants them to do. And that is key. If you miss anything else, don't miss that. See, these people were transferring everything. I mean, 50,000 people moving from one place to another, that's a pretty big task to accomplish. And you imagine all the families that were represented. If you've ever moved, you know what's involved in moving, even if it's down the block, right? I mean, it's just a hassle. 
You got to change your address. You got to you got to do so many different things. But can you imagine moving to a brand new place where there's nothing in all the things that you would have to do as a family to get yourself set up there? They needed to provide homes for the families. They needed to make a living. Back then, it was through farming. They needed to establish some kind of an education program for their children. They needed to establish shops and commerce and trade because none of that existed there. And those are all valid and necessary pursuits. I mean, if you made a list of top 10 things you'd have to do when you move, okay, all those things would probably be in there somewhere. You got to have a job. You got to have a place to live. You got to be able to support your family. You got to have education. You got to do all those things. Those are all good things. But it was interesting to me that these people in the midst of all the craziness of their big move, in addition to that, they still wanted to rebuild the temple. And I've seen so many times when people move, their families move, the last thing on their mind is, where are we going to worship? That's the last thing on their mind. Well, when we get there, we'll find a church. Don't worry about it. On occasion, I've run into people who, who've actually called me before they've even moved from another state. It said, hey, we saw the church on the internet. Can you tell us a little bit about it? We're going to be moving in the area, and we want to know a little more. That's the exception to the rule. The rule is, yeah, we'll figure it out when we get there. And then usually, you know, for a couple of weeks when you're in a new community, I mean, you know, you know, you should go to church, but you know, you got boxes to unpack, you got all this stuff to do, and you just kind of shove it off in the corner. Well, eventually we'll get plugged in. Eventually we'll find a church. Eventually. These people weren't that way. They, that was number one on their list. They wanted to be about God's work. They had realized that God had allowed, through a king, a decree that allowed them to rebuild the temple. And that was so important to them that they were even willing to we're going to find out. Set some things aside. Some reprioritize their lives in order to get the work of God done. And then the last thing we looked at last week was that they did this for the right reason. Can you imagine being held in captivity, having your temple destroyed by these people, and then having the ability to go back because the king says you can rebuild it? Do you think maybe there might be a little pride there involved in rebuilding this temple? I mean, think about the whole 9-11 thing. Think about these towers that they're constructing. You know, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I mean, there's people, well, we want them to be higher than before because it just makes a statement. This wasn't in their heart. They wanted to do this. They wanted to rebuild this temple simply because it was pleasing to God that they did it. They weren't concerned about some of those other motivations. It wasn't distorted national pride that caused them to do this. So we laid that groundwork last week. Well, today we're going to look at the first message, and that first message is in chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And it's a message that's a call to build God's house. That's what Haggai wants them to understand, more than anything, that it's time to get busy building God's house. Now, there's five points here in the message this morning. And we're just going to walk through the text, and we're going to see these kind of jump out at us. But let's read, as we start off here, the first four verses of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and here's what he says. These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then, verse 3, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Clearly, this is a message of rebuke. He's looking at these people and he's saying, what are you doing? 
What in the world are you doing? God, through the prophet Haggai, brought a message that was a message to God's people by God's messenger, and it was God's message. It wasn't Haggai's message. See, sometimes when you preach a message, we believe here in in, in this church that we teach through the Word of God. So sometimes you come across a portion of Scripture, I come across a portion of Scripture, and I just go, I don't want to teach this. I just don't want to teach it. Because first of all, I don't feel qualified to teach it. Secondly, what are the people going to think when I teach it? Because it's probably going to offend a couple people. And man, I, you know, it's just uncomfortable for me sometimes when you come to certain points in Scripture. And see, the good thing about teaching through the Bible, as we do here, is that it's not up to me. It's not up to me. We go to the next verse. If the next verse says that, hey, that's what it says. See, my, my job is not to bring you a message that's going to put a little happy smile on your face and send you home, you know, tipping through the uh, tiptoeing through the roses that's not my goal that may happen occasionally but that's not my goal my goal is to make the word of god alive and hopefully allow you to see the plain meaning of the text before us i don't have any kind of special connection with god that gives me some kind of a, a special understanding of what we're reading this morning you know it's all about resources it's all about just spending some hard work and understanding what the word of god says that's all anybody can do this And so I don't want you to think that sometimes a a pastor or whatever has some kind of a a, a special deal with God. No, we're all sinners saved by his grace. And we all have the same access to the Holy Spirit and the word of God. You have the same Bible I have, okay? So you have the ability to to understand this just like I do. And so it's important that we kind of lay that out there. But see, here, God was bringing a message to these people. And it was a message, it was a rebuke for procrastination. Sometimes I refer to myself, I tell my wife, I said, yeah, I'm a procrastinating perfectionist. I love things perfect, but I just never seem to get there. And it's very frustrating. It just never happens, never seems to happen. There's always something else that needs to be done before it's there. They were putting something off, these people were. And we're going to find out what it was. And the reason we know that is why do they keep on repeating what he says here? Look at what it says in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, and the idea is they continue to say, they're saying it over and over and over again. What are they saying? The time has not come yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's just not right. The time hasn't come yet, God. The atmosphere isn't right. The environment's not right. It's just not right now. Now, today's not the day for this. They kept on putting it off. Theoretically, what they were saying They were saying this to God, your time has not come. Your time, God, has not come. And God has to give them a strong rebuke. And he does that for two reasons. The first reason that he wants to rebuke them because of their procrastination is they had a misunderstanding of prophecy. They didn't really get what was going on here. They misunderstood the prophecies that have gone before the prophet Haggai. Remember, these were Jews who were repatriated back to their homeland. There was a remnant of probably 50,000 of them that had come out of Babylon. And as they came, they basically had accepted their situation in life, and they almost had a fatalistic outlook on life. They just looked at it and said, well, you know what? God said that we were going to be in captivity, and we were, so it's all in God's hands, and what, what could we do? They believed as they were in a prophetic sense and, and th- that they were there because of God's hand, and they couldn't do anything about their situation. That's what they truly believed in their heart. And they believed that, you know what, there's no way out of this predicament before God. And so they had a wrong reaction to what God 
had the message that he had given them in years before. See, if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll understand this, and we'll just go over it briefly here. But if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll see in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, where Jeremiah prophesied that there's going to be a 70-year period where there would be desolations in the city of Jerusalem. Clearly, that's the prophet. Also over in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, what does he prophesy? He prophesies that there's going to be a period of 70 years that there's just going to be desolations in Jerusalem. It's going to be desolated. And also in Zechariah, same prophet, chapter 1, verse 12. And so this remnant of 50,000 Jews that came back from Babylon, they believed mistakenly that they were in that period. They were thinking, you know, well, God can't do anything. God can't do anything. Because for 70 years, you know, they said 70 years. And so they saw it as if they began to put a, a brook, if they went out and started building the temple, that that was almost overriding the plan of God. That's how they viewed prophecy. They had a wrong attitude to the prophet. So how do you know that? Well, chapter 1, verse 2 spells it out. They say over and over again, Lord, the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built is not here. Stop and think, how would they know that? Do they think they're God? God tells you to do something, you should do it. Why would they say such a thing to God? Because they simply believed that as they viewed God's word on this whole 70-year period that it hadn't passed yet. And they were telling God, Lord, the time for this to happen isn't now because this time hasn't passed. The one thing I see here in verse 2 is it's not these people saying that. It's the Lord saying that. Verse 2, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say. Isn't that interesting? That God knows what's in their hearts. He knows what they've been saying. He knows the, the stuff that's going around. He knows the talk around the water cooler. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can't build the temple yet. You know, 70 years isn't over yet. I know we're supposed to be doing it, but, you know, let's just not go there yet. It's not time yet. They kept on putting it off. He kept on, they kept on putting it off over and over and over and over again. You know what? God told them exactly what was in their hearts. And that's one of the best messages that you could ever hear, isn't it? The best message you could ever hear, the best preaching that you could ever hear is when someone stands up and tells you what you're thinking. <laughs> it's a little scary sometimes. I've had people even after a Sunday morning service come, you read my mail or something? Because, man, that message this morning. Huh? It's like, no, I'm not. It's God's working. Even remember in the New Testament, in, in, in uh, John, chapter, John chapter 9, when Jesus met the woman at the well and had a conversation. And he inquired whether she had a husband. Remember what she said? She didn't have a husband. And his answer to her was this. Yeah, you said, well, because you've already had some husbands and the one you're with now isn't your husband. <laughs> Uh-oh. She's found out. And it says that she looked into his eyes and she said this. I perceive that you're a prophet. In other words, you know something about me that nobody else knows. That's a little scary. I perceive that you're a prophet from God. And what that lady do? She went in to the town and she said, you got to come and see this man who told me everything that I've ever done. That would get your attention. That would wake you up. See, God was telling these people here with the, through the prophet Haggai what they were thinking. They were paralyzed. They, they, they stood there and they, they had just given into a feeling of hopelessness. Inability paralyzed them. And all the effort that they could see was for no use. Because they would have to wait till God's prophetic calendar reached its destiny before God would ever allow the temple to be rebuilt. And as a result, the people of God who were called to do the work of God were indifferent. And what suffered? God's work suffered. Because they were unwilling to participate. They were unwilling to kick in their, their part. Because they thought, well, the time's not here yet. 
I've been reading a book on William Carey written by one of his relatives, I don't know if his great-grandson or somebody, and one of the parts of the book before William Carey, he was a great missionary to India, and before he was able to go there, he had to get permission from his religious council or whatever, and, you know, back then it was just a little different. So you'd go before this board and you would request permission to be a missionary to this foreign land. In his testimony, he says this, one of the doctors who was obviously a very high up on the religious council, Dr. Ryland of Northampton, after Kerry got up and said his spiel and believed that God was calling him to a foreign mission field and he was asking for their support, here's what this man, Dr. Ryland, said to this young missionary. He said, young man, sit down. And when God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your aid or mine. Wow. Talk about a, a way to start, try to start a mission, missionary movement. See, that's an attitude of those who believe that it's, it's pointless to hope for God to move in these last days. People look at our situation with our country and with the world, and they look at it, and they look at the prophecies that are found in God's Word, and they say, you know, and I've done this myself, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Hold on, because things are going to turn sour real quick. The wheels are coming off the cart. What's the use? And you begin to believe that because you don't see something prophesied in the Word of God to tell us anything different. I don't see anything in the Word of God that says there's going to be a revival in Redwood City at Grace Bible Church. I don't see that. So why should I believe that? That's where these people in the book of Haggai, that's what they were dealing with. They looked at God's prophecy and they said, well, you know what? It says 70 years of desolation, so you know, we're not even going to try to do what God has called us to do. I want to challenge that attitude this morning. Because it's that kind of attitude that really doesn't allow God any hope for God to move at all. Because it's not prophesied in the Word of God. The Word of God does not see a revival before the return of Jesus Christ. So why should we even pray for it? If it's not in the book, then whatever. I want to ask you a question this morning. Show me in the Bible where the Reformation was prophesied. Bet you can't do it because it's not there. But it happened. Show me in the Bible where in 1859 there was a revival prophesied within the Word of God. It's not there. Show me in the Bible where God prophesied the Welsh revival or the Scottish revival or one of the many European revivals that happened in history. You're not going to be able to do it because they're not there. So why should God prophesy one that will happen before Christ comes? See, this is the predicament that they got themselves in, and I think that we can parallel over to modern day and we begin to believe the same lie. We get in the same situation as these people in Haggai. We're still waiting for the Lord to come back. Just Let's just wait for the Lord to come back. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, we pray, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of help God, or hope that God's going to do anything. And what happens is when you begin believing that lie, it brings you into a, a point of paralyzed inability to work for God at all. It gives you a fatalistic attitude, and it discourages preaching. When you come across people that believe that God isn't working today, why should we pray then? What's the, what's the use of praying? What's the use of coming here and hearing a message? If God's not going to do something in your heart and mine, if God's not going to do something in our community. See, they had a misunderstanding of prophetic truth. And I think sometimes we get there too. We look at our world situation and we just want to give up. And we just want to say, ah, <laughs> you know what? Let's just kind of Sunday to Sunday keep on plowing along. Well, secondly, not only did they have a prophetic misunderstanding, these people, but they also had a preoccupation with materialism. Hello? <laughs> That's what it says in verse 4. 
It said, God replied to them, and he said, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins, while this house lies in ruins? See, God is pointing out to them three things when he calls them on this. First of all, in verse 4, he's pointing out their selfishness. That's what he's doing. He's saying in verse 4, you know, just stop and think for a moment. Just think for a moment of the time, the energy, the money, the enthusiasm that you spend on your own houses. Your paneled houses, it says. Which means it was probably on the more luxurious side. These weren't just little lean-tos, beloved. Some historians say that they may have even had gardens on the roofs. I mean, these people invested a lot in setting up their new house in their new land. It wasn't just a temporary little shed on a little plot of land. And so he's saying, look at the time you invest in this, the time you spend. And here's my house, God's house is what he's saying, the chief house of all, and it lies in ruins, it lies in waste. Am I saying we shouldn't have nice houses? No, that's not what I'm saying. Am I saying we shouldn't work on our houses? No, I'm not saying that either. You know what? You can fill in that word house with anything. You can fill in that word house. You know, why do you spend so much time in your jobs? Why do you spend so much time with your family? Why do you spend so much time in your community, in your homeowners, in whatever you want? Fill in the little blank. Whatever you spend most of your time in, what he's saying is check your priorities. Check your priorities. Because a lot of times our priorities just default are selfish. I know mine are. I mean, we all deal with that on an everyday basis. There's a lot of times when, you know, there's, there's things that you, you go and you got to, you know, go out and visit or do, do whatever. And sometimes I don't feel like doing it. Why? Because I'm selfish. I want to spend time doing what I want to do. And we're always going to have that issue. And so he's just saying there, just pointing out, first of all, you need to deal with some selfishness in your own life. Sometimes we put up so many boundaries around us, and, you know, that's kind of been a fad thing now. you got books out called Boundaries and Everything. Well, you know, yeah, I'll serve in, in the church, but, you know, I just got to protect everything. I can't get out of my comfort zone. I, oh, I believe that we've been called not to selfishness, but to servanthood. That's what God desires of us. And so, you know, I'm not saying that you totally disregard your family. I'm not saying that, you know, you do the opposite. It comes down to a balance. You have to have priorities in order. But I guarantee you, if you sit down and you timeline your week, what is there, 168 hours in a week, and you figure out how much time you spend at work and how much time you spend asleep and how much time you spend eating, how much time you spend with your family and how much time, and you get down to the end and you figure out how much time you actually spend serving God. It's, it's almost not even there for most of us. And we need to stop and ask God, go before God. This isn't a message of guilt. It's a message of reality. It's saying, okay, you know what? Let's honestly look at ourselves and our lives and say, things maybe got out of whack a little. Maybe I've grown a little too comfortable here in this world. And maybe I need to set aside some of my own selfish desires and allow those to become servant desires to serve the body of Christ, to serve the community, to serve God in some form or fashion. Secondly, he pointed out their indifference because he points out to them that God's house, my house, he says, lies in ruins, lies in waste, one translation says. Now, don't forget, these folks have been in captivity for 70 years. 70 years, they didn't have a temple because they weren't allowed to have a temple. And when they came out of captivity, they were really indifferent to the need of having a temple. Hey, we've been without it for so long, who cares? They really grew indifferent to their situation. I know sometimes when we, or even myself in my own personal life, when you go up through a period of time and you don't see God's blessing, you begin to grow indifferent. You begin to say, well, 
I guess that's the way it is. We get used to it. We almost don't even realize it's not there. We need to wake up and we need to begin to realize that God still wants to work in this church. Don't grow indifferent to God's blessing here. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.